Our next case was the Doom Patrol, a group we didn't know much about, or anything really. At first glance, they looked like a prototype for the X-Men, with a wheelchair-bound mentor leading a team shunned by the wider world. We settled in with their case files, ready to learn more. Hi, my name is John. And I'm Matthew. And we are the DC Detectives. It is our job to go back through the annals of DC Comics history and chronicle the evolution of all your favorite heroes from start to every reversible finish. Oh boy, am I excited. <laughs> uh, and, and not just because now I have a reason to watch Doom Patrol on HBO. Um, we are covering a new series today. We're, we're covering Doom Patrol. Uh, we've talked about them. You know them, you love them. Or if you don't, like us, you will soon. Because these are really good comics. Like, I was surprised at how good these were when I was initially reading them. I expected something akin to Challenges of the Unknown, maybe Adam Strange levels of quality. These are better, which is saying something because one of the writers is also one of the writers on Teen Titans. I wonder. So we were struggling with, with those a little bit, not terribly, but the other writer does a very good job with these. Uh, speaking of the team, uh, Arnold Drake and Bob Haney are the two credited for the writing of these. The art switches between Bruno Premiani and Bob Brown. Art's really good for these two. I genuinely enjoy kind of the, the drama that some of these pages have, especially the covers. Um, there's some really compelling images there and some really good just anatomy and natural looking uh, art. Yeah, I the thing that stands out to me is... I guess less the execution and more they do have fun with... I don't know whether to credit like the writer or the artist on this, but the interesting, like, the situation and the poses that come from them are just pleasantly joyful. Uh, I, I'm going to make the Aquaman comparison that there are some things that are just plain fun. And, like, there's a point where a giant woman uses a robot as a rolling pin. And it makes me happy. <laughs> Oh, yeah. There's there's so many good gags that can only really happen in comics, but they're not just a gag for gag's sake, kind of like how Metal Men mm -hmm. was. They fit, and everything seems to fit well. Okay, so the interesting thing about Doom Patrol is they don't start with an issue one, and they don't ever get an issue one. Um, they actually are first published in My Greatest Adventure, number 80, um, which is another one of the series that was being published by DC Comics at the time, much like Action Comics, Adventure Comics, you know. My Greatest Adventure, frankly, I had never heard of this one. Same. I'd heard of some of the others purely because of the, the characters that started in them um, were more important than, you know, the, the line. But this one is my first experience with My Greatest Adventure. Um, but as I said... Uh, they start in My Greatest Adventure, number 80, June 1963. And yes, Joanne, this one's going to be a little bit longer because we're going to have to do some setup for some of these characters. Um, mainly because I didn't know too much about them in general, so I was very fascinated about them. Uh, and I think everyone's going to benefit from a more lengthy first issue recap just for the sake of the recap of these characters. Yeah. Um, the first issue starts in a small manner sandwiched between two skyscrapers much like the up house in the movie <laughs> yeah um and it's very out of place but it's like picture just a tiny mansion in between two skyscrapers it's the very weirdest thing in the world but in this house there is a man 
shrouded in light and shadow, and on opposite him at a table are three other figures shrouded in shadow. And as he continues to explain who each of them are to introduce the characters to us, he also gives a little bit of backstory to them. One of those characters is Rita Farr. She's a film actress and stuntwoman, an Olympic gold medalist swimmer, who, while doing her own stunts for a film, fell over a waterfall into an area where there were some volcanic gases that she inhaled and somehow gave her the ability to grow and shrink. She will later, depending on uh, which issue, will be called either Elastawoman or Elastagirl. It does flip-flop occasionally. Um, that's not terribly important because they eventually uh, land on Elastigirl, but it is interesting to note that they had Elastigwoman at one point, and she was one of the first characters that I know of that was getting the woman moniker instead of the girl moniker, like Hawk Girl and whatnot. So I felt it was important to point out that they, they switched from woman to girl, which kind of sucks. Um, next is Larry Trainer, who is a pilot, kind of an experimental test pilot like Hal Jordan, uh, who is exposed to solar radiation... And when he wills this, now after being exposed to solar radiation, he can will a man made of radio waves to come out of his body that he has dubbed the Negative Man. Uh, and when this happens, he has 60 seconds of basically helplessness, and he's vulnerable and can be killed because if Negative Man doesn't return to his body in 60 seconds, he dies. Uh, but Larry will also go by Negative Man um, as the plot goes on, just as his code name. And then finally, we have Cliff Steele, who is a daredevil and a race car driver, um, but he suffers a horrible accident, and only his brain can be saved, and his body is get gotten rid of, and they put his brain in a robot body. Um, he now kind of looks like a really early-stage version of a robot from Invincible. And, yeah. Uh, huh. <laughs> huh. Um, they just refer to him as Robot as well now these three individuals have met at this house because they've been summoned by a man named the chief who is a ginger fellow with a big beard who is in a wheelchair who happens to be a swiss army scientist of unknown origin who is the one that put cliff uh cliff's brain into his robot body and he has gathered the three of them together because they all have the exact unique set of skills needed for a mission but before that the team uh, demonstrate their abilities by stopping a bomb somewhere in the city um, using Negative Man's abilities to find it, get it back to them, Elastigirl's ability to shrink, get inside the bomb and disarm it, and Negative Man's ability to destroy it without being hurt. And we kind of see that they are a good team when led by Chief. So they decide to, to work together because why not? Uh, Chief then asks them to recover a spaceship that he knows has landed on Earth uh, due to his drone research and reconnaissance uh, rockets that he is flying about, but to watch out for a character named General Immortus, who seems to be some big bad that the chief knows about. General Immortus has got his own plans for the rocket and attempts to stop the group from recovering it. Um, and while they're trying to recover it, a drone tank basically an, uh, an unmanned tank comes out of the, the spaceship to protect itself and the team destroys it using their individual abilities and we find that general immortus is actually able to counteract all their individual abilities but with quick thinking and strategic planning they outsmart him 
and General Immortus appears to destroy himself in the rocket ship, trying to fly with it, and it crashes. And that's kind of the end of that, while the team returns home, and they are later dubbed the Doom Patrol by the media. And that's the name that they go by. Um, that's the first story of Doom Patrol. What's really interesting to kind of note here, personally I find, is that Rita is probably the character given the largest resume next to maybe Hawk Girl as a competent individual. Hmm. Rita's an Olympic gold medalist swimmer, stunt woman, and actress. <laughs> It's yeah. kind of a lot for a character. She has almost a more impressive resume than Larry and or Cliff. Yeah, and I think I think it's worth, either now or later, we should talk in depth about Rita. Because she is, she is part of the team. She is mm-hmm. absolutely like the girl of the team. And there are some, there is baggage that comes with that. But she is not downplayed and she is... Uh, in terms of the quote-unquote like average combat or average challenge that they face, unless unless they decide that being the girl is her kryptonite, in that in any given challenge she is just as capable and she is hyped up just as much. Rita is more often than not the secret weapon. Yeah, she she genuinely is almost the fix-all for anything physical that doesn't require not dying, because. Yeah. Then they just make Cliff do it because Cliff can't be harmed. But if it needs super strength, some kind of beat em up physical kick ass power, usually it's Rita in a gi- in her giant form. If they need some stealth stuff, usually Rita when she's really tiny. Anything energy related or science related or fast travel needed, they use Larry as negative man. Anything to do with not getting the just the absolute hell killed out of you, it's Cliff. I think that's a, a piece worth noting is that, yeah, she, they didn't just give her shrinking powers and, and they didn't just give her growing powers. Like it is both directions. Uh, and so she does have a, a very wide palette of uh, solutions to problems. And yeah, she is, yeah. as you say, in some ways, the muscle. Yeah. Um, especially since, I mean, presumably Larry being, an Air Force pilot, I think they state, or at least a pilot. I'm going to assume he's an Air Force pilot just because let's assume he is. He'd have a basic combat training. Hmm. Cliff wouldn't. Like, I wouldn't put Evil Knievel up against Conor McGregor. <laughs> like, yeah. he's a stunt guy and an ass card racer. Like, that's about it. Rita's a, an athlete, an Olympic-level athlete. A stunt woman, so she knows probably how to fight. Maybe not, like, in a life-threatening situation, but probably knows how to fight. And she's super strong because she can grow huge. She's actually probably one of the most credible threats, especially because Negative Man is vulnerable when using his power. Yeah. Um, He's, like, the Negative Man shadow, I kind of refer to it as the Shadow Man, Mm -hmm. occasionally to distinguish between Negative Man Larry and Negative Man the actual energy shadow. Um... Larry is as functional as a normal human in D&D is. He's got all 10 for his stats, probably. Maybe a a high dexterity and high intelligence because he was a pilot. But he's not super buff and he's not terribly charismatic because also Larry is very bandaged up, kind of like the Invisible Man from the old uh, 
comics and movies and things like that something there's something going on with larry's physical body that has him bandaged up completely he has no skin showing no hair so you've got that you've got a robot person and then just this regular nondescript woman who happens to be an actress so unfortunately because rita's an actress i'm going to say she's the least stealthy person because she's probably recognizable from visual get from just visual sight also she was an olympian so someone's probably seen her mm-hmm. um so after this first story in my greatest adventure number 80 june 1963 we go to august 1963 my greatest adventure number 81 um, an old Nazi scientist is using a machine to create illusions to terrorize the world and cover up crimes that he's committing while these illusions terrorize things and destroy buildings and quote-unquote destroy buildings. However, due to being in a robotic body shielded from a multitude of different radiations and radio waves or waves of energy, robot does not see the visions or the illusions and is able to kind of deduce that something is wrong, and with his help, the team combat the scientists' illusions, and they save everyone. Um, The world, no, it's very established kind of early on in the issue that the world knows about the Doom Patrol, but they're slightly afraid of them or confused by them, Um, and the Doom Patrol are still somewhat outcasts because they're obviously very strange looking. Obviously, it's like a mummy dude, a robot, and some chick that can get really big is rather alarming to the general public however they're not you know chasing them down in the streets and using pitchforks they're just kind of like oh isn't that those those weird people yeah. um the doom patrol like larry's in a jumpsuit rita's kind of in a jumpsuit sometimes sometimes she's in like a skirt onesie sort of a thing and robots just got spandex um he does have a camera on his chest that he straps on so the chief can see what he sees and can give them orders in the field. The next story is My Greatest Adventure, number 82, September 1963. The Doom Patrol is honored by the city, and they are brought to a dinner for, you know, their honor to celebrate them. The main plot of this is that there are aliens in the city trying to get info about Chief, because they believe he is also an alien, and they want to get him on their side to help them take over the planet. So what they end up doing is pretending to be a bunch of reporters who want an exclusive about the chief and they try to use Rita as an unwitting like an unwitting mole in the operation by sneaking some recording equipment onto her while also doing like an interview of her and chief kind of suspects that something is wrong so he tells a very fantastic story about being an alien himself and having crash landed on earth and that's why he's in the wheelchair and he tells that story to Rita and then he apparently tells completely different stories to Cliff and Larry and what they find out is that when the aliens approach Chief, they talk about him being, you know, being an alien and crash landing on the planet. He goes, ah, I now know. Or no, when the newspaper prints that story about mm-hmm. him, he goes, okay, we now know that somebody did something to, to Rita. So we have to figure out what's going on. And they reverse engineer the plot. They pull one over on the aliens and they stop them uh, from using some long buried technology that they buried under a moon city test site which was kind of fun because um, I guess in the 60s we're all testing like what moon settlements will be like when we get on the moon and uh, with the drone equipment and they stop the aliens and they kind of drive them off the planet. Um, but Rita Rita feels really terrible about being a, a mole. And they're like, sorry, we didn't tell you. <laughs> like, it's okay, you're fine. We then skip to 
My Greatest Adventure, number 83, November 1963. This is a, a Negative Man-focused story. Uh, Negative Man's energy shadow goes haywire when it comes into contact with a radio signal, like the most powerfully sent radio signal the city has ever sent. It kind of flies through it, and it messes him up so much that the energy shadow does not return to Larry in time uh, before 60 minutes are up. So Chief puts him on ice and puts him in suspended animation so he can't die, while Rita and Cliff um, go out and try to save and like direct the energy shadow back into Negative Man's body. And during this, there's like a, like the Negative Man shadow is like causing blackouts and power outages because it's just like running into other pieces of technology and disrupting them. Criminals are trying to take advantage of the chaos, and um, Elastigirl and Robot stop them, as well as get the shadow back into Larry's body before he dies. Um, that one I thought was really cool because we're start like they start to they're starting to focus specifically on characters. Mm. One issue was about Rita's relationship with Chief, and she's like, "Oh God, I I betrayed you because I was the one that gave him the information." This one is now about Larry being vulnerable. It, before in the previous issue, it was you know Negative Man and Robot were were you know doing something without Elastigirl knowing, and now Elastigirl and Robot are doing something without Negative Man. So they're kind of highlighting the various abilities of each character, um, while also showing vulnerability and some some sort of characterization of them at the same time. Yeah, I think that's a piece that's worth sort of leaning on. Uh, the these are characters who have defined weaknesses but even beyond that are written in vulnerable ways uh and i'll get deeper into this because it is a thing that i think resonates really well for me uh or with me at least uh the the degree to which these characters are human and vulnerable they are bickering uh they have deep-seated angst at being outcast from society they even and that extends into combat. So it, I, I think that might be the thing that different that makes it work more for me than like a kryptonite weakness or fire or yellow. Because although those are cool, there is nothing thematically resonant with them. The closest you could get is arguably kryptonite, just because it's such an inversion of the Superman like experience of all power. But even then, like it's so it's used so much. It's, it is used so much in this era, and every character is treated as iconically powerful, except for this thing, or many characters. Whereas this, there is a thematic through line of, we're the weirdos, we don't like this, to, yeah. we get the crap kicked out of us in combat. And it sometimes it is less gimmicky in the sense of, hey, like, uh, Robot Man, his deal sometimes is, I'm gonna get melted this is going to suck <laughs> and then yeah. have to be rebuilt. Uh, and Larry has that limit built into... It is so intrinsically part of the power that it almost doesn't even feel like a weak, a separate weakness. It is part of the power, I suppose. I don't know. It, those pieces make it work so well for me in that vulnerability. Yeah, I mean, were, were Cliff still a normal dude who's physical ability power was that he could just reassemble his body every issue would be body horror for him <laughs> yep he is getting melted blown up deactivated uh, de you know decapitated limbs are blown off from him his whole bit is i cannot feel pain 
and it is simultaneously really interesting but also awful and terrifying and i'll go into kind of each individual person's kind of thematic thing in a little bit because um, we're almost we're almost done with our coverage um on these which is great not that it's great that we're done but more so just some of this coverage is really cool yeah. um my greatest adventure number 84 december 1963 general immortus returns obviously because you've seen every disney movie that ever exists if you don't find a body he's not dead General Immortus has returned, and he converts Robot into a, like, lead-lined creation, and takes control over him, and uses Robot to help him get a treasure that he needs to continue his forever war against the world and fund his operations. Obviously, the rest of the Doom Patrol shows up and defeats General Immortus, but this is now something we learn about General Immortus, is that he's been around for a long time and continues to need money to fund whatever his aim is but something is up with general immortus next my greatest adventure number 85 february 1964 rita convinced by chief uh goes back to make a movie even though she kind of states very thoroughly like that kind of part of my life is behind me i kind of want to just be full-time on the doom patrol and chief is like no no you should go back while you have the opportunity to lead a normal life and not be an outcast anymore and she's like okay i guess and they're like yeah also if you do this like it might make people more cool with us if Mm -hmm. they see you doing something more normal so she goes to do the movie and the movie is about people who can shrink and grow but they're using ridiculous sets that are dangerous and or costly and what rita then finds out is that all of that was a ploy to get her to use her powers to make the movie on the cheap to exploit her natural ability now of shrinking and growing and she is pissed uh meanwhile whilst she is gone negative man chief and robot man have gone into the earth to find some radioactive creatures that have resulted from uh, parallel radioactive testing and nuclear testing on the planet and the only reason they they tried to get rita away is they're like this is really fucking dangerous and robot man usually blows up and stuff like this and negative man is probably invulnerable while he's negative man and chief won't be around and he's going to be in like this lead lined machine with them in the field Rita would probably be the most vulnerable of the team at this point. Turns out, they need Rita. So when Rita comes back to give him a piece of her mind, she's like, where the fuck did you guys all go? Why are you underground? What are these giant monsters? And Rita helps them defeat the monsters by science. Um, They shove lead into these uh, radioactive nuclear creatures, and that makes them inert, and they are no longer a threat to the team, which I thought was really cool and a nice bit of science. Mm -hmm. Um, And then Rita chews them out. Which I loved, because Rita was like, how dare you, like, hoodwink me into doing this, and not only did they not want me for me as an actress, they wanted me for my powers, don't ever do that to me again, and they're like, yeah, we're sorry. I loved that, because I loved that Rita got to put her foot down. I agree. I would feel better if there weren't more instances where where she is the, uh, the sacrifice to purpose of plot, uh... She yeah yeah like earlier we had the uh, the story where she she was the one who quote unquote was the traitor because she got the she got bugged uh, here we have the thing where they're where she is manipulated into uh, being the or into being out of the way later on uh, I I don't remember whether this is actually part of our coverage or if I accidentally read too far uh, but there is a story where she is. Uh, she winds up tailing, I, I think she winds up tearing, tailing, uh, Larry, I, I think it's Larry, mm-hmm. uh, bas- this is part of our coverage. Okay, yeah. cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That, 
this is a good moment. I don't know that the writers agree with what she's saying. Yeah, and that's perfectly fair. She she is suffering from I am woman, this is my plot device. Yeah. But expanded later, you know, down the line in history and looking at other female characters or femme characters of the same time period, Rita putting her foot down and saying that what she wants is to be a Doom Patrol member was pretty cool. Her stating her intention and her desires, which were not to be famous, to be traditionally Mm -hmm. femme, or to be in a traditional female role in a patriarchal society, was cool to me. And... And it's not just like sometimes you get that speech from sometimes you get that speech from the snapper car. She's not snapper mm-hmm. car in this equation. She is a Doom Patrol member. That they do the writing treats her at that level. I would have loved the speech to come out from June in Challengers of the Unknown. Oh yeah, yeah. I would have loved June to be like, "Fuck you guys! You can't get rid of me. I'm June. I'm a challenger. Screw you!" Like that would have been awesome. Yeah. Just, just to have June be like, I'm not a hanger-on. I've been on missions with you guys. I've been to space. You can't tell me I'm not a challenger. Mm-hmm. Like, or even Alana in Doc in in a uh, uh, Adam Strange. Yeah, would have been great for Alana to be like, how many times have I helped you save the planet? Shut up. Give me a gun. Yeah. Uh, like, for for the people who I don't know if anybody else out there has watched. Uh, magicians but there is there is uh, there is the npc based in the the other world uh i say npc and that's that sort of makes my point right there the the character who winds up marrying a member of the cast and then there is a point where oh no you're you're one of the main characters now huh okay yeah <laughs> you have graduated yes um, uh, ascended npc right so it's it's ascended extra that's it is it is nice to see yeah, I don't think the intention was to to establish Rita as a feminist character. It's unintentional feminism. Mm-hmm. And we won't give them a point for it, but we will give point to the character for being unintentionally feminist in a 1960s comic. Um, well, the next issue, this is great... We get a name change for the entire magazine. It is no longer My Greatest Adventure. It is now just Doom Patrol. And it is Doom Patrol number 86, March 1964. They kept the same numbering, but they just changed the title. And there's there's a um, bit of context that's interesting and useful on that one because uh, all of this is just uh, Wikipedia. I didn't research deeply enough on this bit, but Wikipedia says that when they came up with the Doom Patrol, it was this... This magazine is on its last legs. Can you come up with something to save it? So it it did a good enough job of it that let's just rebrand away from the name that wasn't working. And you know what? Kudos to them because it does work. Yep. Um, this one, however, introduces another major uh, character from actually like DC's greater villain archive. Um, it introduces... Um, the brain, which is literally a brain in a jar that has the ability to speak through electronical devices that are plugged into the brain. Um, the brain's minder, second in command, and caretaker and muscle is Monsieur Mala, which is a talking gorilla. Yes. Um, that also speaks French, because why not? And has a gun. Uh, and it has a gun. Has a has a fucking Tommy gun. It's That's amazing. So um, 
The another member of this group that is referred to as the Brotherhood of Evil is Madame Rouge or Madame Rouge, who is a French femme fatale. That's pretty much all we know. There's this one-off character who's introduced in this issue called Mr. Morden, um, who is just a guy, like a criminal, trying to join the Brotherhood of uh, Evil, who has to pass a test by working with Madame, uh, Madame Rouge, Monsieur Malat, and the Brain. Um, they're, I'm just going to say that they're all French. Because, why not? Um, but what the the Brain, Madame, Madame Rouge, and Monsieur Malat want Mr. Morden to do is to get this giant robot and steal the Statue of Liberty. Because what else... What do you get the brain that has everything? The Statue of Liberty. Um, obviously, they don't do it. They don't win because the Doom Patrol stops them. Um, and in here, we get some little characterization moments between the Doom Patrol members that um, there's some hints of romance between Larry and Rita. And also, we get some back, uh, some, a little character building moment that Larry's room at Doom Patrol headquarters seems to be covered entirely in metal plating. And Rita asks him some questions about that, and he's very evasive, and then we move on from it, and then the issue is over. Uh, and we move on to Doom Patrol number 87, May 1964. Larry is quote-unquote tricked by Madame Rouge, uh, who is in disguise, to get scientific plans that are hidden below ground in like a bunker, in like a time capsule bunker, by using Negative Man to get them. Um... Rita is jealous of all the time that Larry is spending with Madame Rouge's disguised personage. And she tails them to try and find out and prove that this this woman is no good for Larry. And it inadvertently gets caught herself because she was being tailed by Monsieur Malat and the brain. And Larry, turns out, was running like a double agent op against Madame Rouge and the Brotherhood of Evil. Um, because he knew who she was and told the chief, and the chief was like, play along with it, see what's going on. And uh, they end up beating the Brotherhood of Evil. And we find out in this storyline, because they, they helped them get these plans for like a, a shrinking, growing ray gun, um, Larry's only way to stop it is by taking his bandages off and revealing his really, really radioactive skin, I guess. Um, Larry, underneath the, I guess, lead-lined bandages that Chief has bought for him and made and crafted and put onto his body, um, protect his body's natural radiation now that, uh, it emanates due to the solar radiation that he absorbed when he was a pilot. Um, and that's why his room is paneled with lead and metal, is to keep all the radiation in. Um, little cute moment between him and Rita, and we kind of see that Larry, you know, Larry's kind of warming up to her. There's a second story in this issue um, about Robot on a mission to find a criminal who has landed on an old uh, island that was used during World War II by the Japanese called Sutu Island. I'm not sure if it's a real place. I didn't look it up, but I imagine Matt knows. Um, Robot is on the island and encounters a bunch of booby traps that the guy lays for him and progressively gets more dismantled over the course of the story until he's just a torso and a head and even then he kicks this guy's ass by just falling on him and being too heavy for the guy to get off of him it's really good <laughs> it's amazing um he uses one of his arms or legs as a boomerang it's great i fucking love it this was so insane 
Um, and then uh, Rita and Larry show up, and they're like, we got you, buddy, and then he's rebuilt, and everybody has a good laugh about it. These issues almost all end in some, like, sitcom-esque, everyone laughs and roll credits moment, um, which I thought was hilarious. Uh, but... Something I wanted to talk about specifically because we we started getting into it a little bit during some of our you know inter conversations was the specific sort of uh, not faults I want to say but like character flaws of each Doom Patrol member. Um, Larry hates that they are outcasts and hates his radioactive situation. Obviously, he's resentful of the world for not treating them like normal. When duh. You're a radioactive nuclear man. Your friend's a robot, and the the tall chick punches holes in avalanches. Like you're not exactly run of the mill, but at the same time, he wants the acceptance that people would just not think any of that is weird, which is kind of sweet and kind of sad. Cliff, robot man, is constantly pissed off that he's no longer in a human body it doesn't take over his every waking moment but his kind of underlying story is trying to figure out if he can ever be back in a human body again or not or if he's just stuck like this and how he how he's going to live with himself being a robot and rita is you know kind of coming to terms with the identity of like this is who i am now i'm a doom patrol member i'm not who i used to be i'm not famous and whatever um, but also is kind of struggling from I am the girl syndrome from, from comics writing. Um, Matt mentioned that there is some bickering and infighting between the team where, you know, Robot Man might be doing good one day and then Larry's like, screw this shit. They don't trust us. They'll look at us like freaks. Don't let them call us by nicknames. I'm Larry Trainer. I'm not Negative Man. Um, and other times, you know when Rita uh, was sweet on Larry, you know, you'd see Cliff kind of comfort her, but also be like, come on, I'll take you out. And it's kind of hard to tell if there's a love triangle there or if it's just Cliff was being a nice guy um, just because of 60s era writing. So there is some interpersonal drama. There is some internal drama between the characters. Um, We still don't know anything about Chief, which I kind of like, but also it seems to be coming to a head with the repeated um, appearances of General Immortus. General Immortus is a recurring villain that has some kind of backstory. We now have the Brotherhood of Evil. Um, For those of you who are Young Justice fans, you'll recognize the brain from Young Justice. Hmm. Um, The brain showed up in an episode uh, trying to convince, or rather trap, Shazam and see if he could open Shazam's brain and is one of the characters in uh, the the larger plots um i was just like oh that's where you're from you're from doom patrol uh which is hilarious because in young justice monsieur mala is there but he doesn't talk he's just got a big gatling gun because why not trade up a thompson machine gun for a gatling gun there is a, a i don't know if you have this date because of whether or not you looked it up um so like four months after doom patrol one comes out x-men one comes out. i was wondering i i knew they were right around concurrent i did not know which and who boy yeah <laughs> are we yeah, talking about so, that right now <laughs> yeah let's talk about that because i think that's an important comics history sort of a moment um yeah i want to say four months after my greatest adventure number 80 mm-hmm. um in september 
of 63 x-men number one comes out which is four months after yeah and it's boy it's weird that (laughs) dc is publishing a story about a guy in a wheelchair who runs a team of misfit superheroes who save the world due to their unique and interesting powers but are shunned and outcast by society and four months later marvel's like but what if they were all teenagers and one of them was a snowman one of them had wings another one just had big feet and big hands um one girl was psychic and one guy shot lasers out of his eyes what if yep (laughs) just a thought (laughs) and we keep the guy in the wheelchair except instead of a ginger he's bald and and he has ways of essentially being telepresenced in uh, either yeah. uh, either telepathically or using the uh, like the camera that you mentioned. Yep, one hundred percent. Our our guy doesn't need a, a camera on the chest of anybody. He's just he's just psychic. He's telepathic. He can he can hear and see what they see. He's cut out the middleman, right? He's also got a buttload of technology that they can use at their disposal. Weird. Yep. weird and strange and gosh so coincidental um i'm not saying anyone at marvel specifically copied the doom patrol but it certainly reeks of did you borrow my homework and yeah somebody read somebody else's essay you know this is just the coincidence is too broad. Yeah. Uh, to the point that I I did the highly scientific comparison of just reading uh, Uncanny X-Men number eight. Just just doing a quick comparison. And yeah, <laughs> there's a lot. There's, there's a lot. There's a lot. Uh, that being said, I, I don't think you can... It, it is hard to overstate the similarities in concept the similarities from the start but the way things iterate from there even quickly on is is fascinating and it does even if there's a lot shared like the way they're approaching different things is uh pieces there but you can also see uh you can see somewhere between x-men and fantastic four in the sense of how people treat these characters uh like i i just kept getting resonances the way that the doom patrol is treated uh, there is a superficial similarity with how they're treated uh or with how the x-men are treated the the racism the the mutant phobia but really it it felt much more like how the thing is treated it it is that yeah no nah, you're you're a good you're we understand you're a good guy but you're still weird and don't get too close you are you are scary it is very yeah. is personal as compared to broad and it's so hard to say what it's going to wind up doing because we we don't have a history with the doom patrol at least i certainly don't i can look at what's going on in x-men number eight and see oh here are these things that are going to play out over decades and have more meaning right away but the right off the bat just the fact that it is so much more personal with the doom patrol we don't like you three specifically because you're weird uh as compared to the the broader systemic issue that 
the yeah. X-Men sort of are at the linchpin of. It, it's a difference between you weirdos and mutant kind. Yes. And, yeah, the comparison becomes a little diluted over time. Um, however, I couldn't help <laughs> oh, man. but think while reading Doom Patrol, boy, it's almost like these characters are hated and feared by everyone around them. And they're not, they're so misunderstood. And I was just like, hmm, okay. Yep. Yeah, every, everybody's, everybody's doing the same thing. It's fine. We know, we know the 60s are the Wild West for comics. But, who buddy? And yeah, Doom Patrol doesn't, doesn't become a really thinly veiled allegory for marginalized individuals in the 60s. It does not become that. At least not to my knowledge. And I don't think it ever strived to be that. Also, Stanley is a different writer. Yep. You know, and that's what's going to happen is you're you're going to get different people doing different interpretations of the same core concept, which is how you get Captain Marvel and Superman. Mm -hmm. You know, or rather Shazam and Superman, or Green Arrow and Batman, or the Blue Beetle, or any number of characters like that. The formula is the same. It, it's kind of like saying, "Hey, you both tried to make pizza, but one of you made deep dish." Mm -hmm. They're both technically pizza, but one is a one is a different type of pizza, and one might argue that this isn't pizza at all. Um, so that's kind of like the thing here is that they're both the same flavor of vanilla. One just happens to be French vanilla, yeah, and is more liked and more used and more nuanced, mm -hmm. which is the X Men and Doom Patrol is fun though, yeah. like. Right out the gate, I don't want anyone to, to misconstrue the idea of, of comparing Doom Patrol as not a great version of X-Men, or rather X-Men is a really cool version of Doom Patrol. Doom Patrol's good. These are good comics. They Yeah, they're still 1960s Silver Age comics, so you're going to get the traditional tropes and motifs and values of a 1960s comic. They're better than some of the other stuff that we're reading. Yes, absolutely. Just visually narratively but these are better comics mm -hmm. and one i think that was just straight up surprising yeah. and i am shocked that with the quality of these comics being what they are these characters didn't do better or their success did not bleed over by having everyone go like wow that guy's doing really good work with these characters Maybe I should try X. It's really fascinating to me that Doom Patrol has only until the last, only, you know, until the last five, six years, frankly disappeared from common mm -hmm. comics zeitgeist knowledge. And the X-Men in, endured, not because of, you know, not dumb luck. Obviously, the X-Men is its own property and its own thing that people love. But Doom Patrol isn't a slouch. Either something happens editorially or something happens narratively in the comic and it just like starts to suck i can't see why this wasn't successful and martian manhunter kept going so here's actually an interesting thing i i hadn't thought about this but to some degree that's another point where there's a parallel between x-men and doom patrol for a while because silver age x-men gets canceled in 1970 and the doom patrol gets canceled in 68 and it's just one of them gets, and they and they even like both get revived at 
roughly the same time, 75 for uh, 75 for uh, Uncanny X-Men and 77, I think. Or actually, no, they might have gotten revived in the same year. One sec. Uh, okay, 77 for Doom Patrol revival and 75 Claremont and uh, X-Men. So Oof. it's just that one, when it gets picked pick back up, goes big and one of them doesn't that's nuts these are fun if you ever get your hands on some silver age doom patrol specifically you get your hands on my greatest adventure forward it will definitely be worth your while if anything to just be like wow this is what comics used to be and here's a good example of it because i would give people doom patrol before i give them superman yes yes it's just it's a really fascinating thing to see something that we like so much and not because we have history with the characters because these are genuinely better written Mm -hmm. on my end uh making another point uh tagging another piece of evidence on the uh you should read this scale that they're fun uh like the solutions to problems are just fun we talked about uh robot sacrificing a limb each uh to get through each challenge on the island and then falls on the villain and he pins him until help arrives uh there's a point where negative they're they're facing they're dealing with a thing and i, I think it was the uh the ro- the monsters that they put lead into or somehow like stabilize i, I think it might have been that but uh negative man flies robot man through a thing as robot man is protecting a bomb so that they can deliver it to the target, drop it off, and then get out. And it's just, yes, this... Every time we get solutions that are so organically believable that it's not just, oh, you're, you are you are using powers in ways that just work, and it's, yes, I'm there. It gives it so much... There is so much momentum. There is so much, yes, I'm there. Uh, and it's just so, so much fun with that. Uh, and I talked earlier about the... There is stuff that happens that's just fun. That we talked about the gorilla with the gun. We talked about uh, Elastigirl using robot as a rolling pin for a thing. All of these are just—it's just fun. I had a lot of fun with it. However, it's interesting to real to think about what isn't here, uh, especially in comparison to uh, uh, expanding on the idea of uh, comparisons to Uncanny X-Men. Uh, these are almost always 12 or so page comics uh, or issue or stories. Uh, they're not getting the full issue for any one story with the exception of, I think the very first one. And even that, like it was two writers doing the two halves of the story. Like the, I think it was the introduction, then general Immortus. Uh, they, they split the issue down in half and said, all right, let's go crazy. Uh, Whereas we've seen so many, like, when Supergirl gets going, there are so many, like, hey, here's a three-parter starring her for the entire issue. Uh, They don't even usually get both stories in an issue. It is, um, I want to say two or, I guess, three of the issues that we covered. There are two Doom Patrol stories, and I believe the rest are other, like, 
it is my greatest adventure. There, there are just random things that they're pulling up. Here's here's an interesting little twelve page story that is adventurous and has nothing to do with the Doom Patrol. So you don't have the full twenty four odd pages uh, for the stories to breathe and for the characters to breathe. I felt like when when we got the characters out of combat, out of challenges, we were still getting a lot of good like character dynamics and people bickering and and that's the thing I love. It's the Marvel style, uh, the Marvel style of family uh, comics. But because they're still short stories, there's not enough of that. It still has to move along briskly. And on the plus side, you get all that good momentum. On the other hand, I want more. I want more. I want the space for this world and these characters to develop and for the interpersonal dynamics to be more. By issue number eight of uh, Fantastic Four, we already have uh, Sue and Reed engaged. By that point in Uncanny X-Men, Cyclops, everybody has officially graduated and Cyclops is being solo team lead while uh, Professor X is away. And granted, that comes from a school that is much more... Uh, continuity focused, but I I want that I want that here I want the like the first eight issues of Green Lantern and all the stuff that develops and how much we get uh, we met, get Hal and Carol and everything going on we uh, we get uh, oh I'm terrible uh, not Tom uh, his friend I don't yeah Tom, Tom. yes okay Thomas. cool I'm amazing but. Uh, yeah, things like that. I, I want more from that, and I feel like they can write that, and maybe they're trying to, and, and here we get to the piece of we don't know the future of these characters, and we we know it's relatively short, so nothing has as much narrative weight, and we can't look at that and say, like, hey, that's the seed. That's the seed of the thing that's going on. So I, as much as I... I, it's hard for me to tell how much of this is they aren't doing the thing because there's not enough space or maybe they would be doing the thing except we don't know it's the thing because they don't have the space. It, Yeah, just uh, th- there was a reading through that particular issue of Uncanny X-Men and it's just this feels like the apotheosis of what this is doing and I, I want more. <laughs> I want that a little bit more. Yeah, the, the X-Men feels like what the Doom Patrol is aiming for. And I'm curious to see how far it gets because we do get, what, a 40-issue run of these guys and I I wonder what we're going to see and I hope it's good. Yeah, and that's not insubstantial in the Mm -hmm. Silver Age. And Like, remember, Green Arrow had less than that. Yeah, that's right, yeah. So that's not an insubstantial amount of comics. Like, that's maybe 30 issues less than than what the Challengers of the Unknown get. To explain bound on it a little further not even to underscore it a little bit i am excited by the idea that it could do these things in part because it's already doing a little bit of it like there is i have written down that there there is a soul at the core of this comic that there's i talked about angst and i I do think it's angst rather than angst or pathos instead of melancholy like angst is probably the better way to put it because especially the two guys are angsty over the fact that they can't be close to people and they're and then you just get these moments that just work there's a so uh sutu island or whatever it was yeah sutu island uh is not a thing is my understanding uh 
there there are certainly islands with similar kinds of names in the Pacific campaign, but not Sutu Island. Uh, but there's a line in there, and I want to make sure I get it right. So looking at my notes, so Robot Robot Man shows up on the beach where of this island, and is just looking around and says, a thousand men died to take this atoll, and now nobody wants it. And it's just, uh, there's that moment for that line, and it's just, ooh, yeah. And, uh, oh, the other great example that I had, the speaking to characters being vulnerable, being characters, uh, being, being characters instead of icons, there's a point where they decide to celebrate Chief's birthday, and they, none of them know what Chief's birthday is. They all decide, it's all right, it's this day, we're going to celebrate your birthday. Cool. And he's genuinely taken aback when they give him a birthday cake. And it, there's just this moment yeah. of, oh, thank you. And there's a I humanness love there. I love it. Yeah, all of them coming together being like, your birthday is the day that we met you. Yep. And that's like a year ago today. Happy birthday. Yeah. And, and that was like, okay, this has some of the same heart that Metal Men wishes it had. Yeah. You know, like, Metal Men tries to make those characters have weight and emotional, and emotional power and depth, but it can't do it. And this 100% does. Yeah. They are actively, as a group, thankful for Chief, mm-hmm. trying to show their appreciation, showing that they care about him, trying to protect each other. Even when the chips are down, Robot and Negative Man take care of each other. And they you know, compliment each other on, like, good job, dude. Like, they may not be people who see eye to eye, but they respect each other. And I think that's, even that subtle level of narrative storytelling is kind of cool. These are good. Yeah. Go read them. <laughs> um, if that is all for us, I think we can move on to recommendations. Yeah, I think so. Um, I would like to start with a, a fairly uh, easy-to-get-into uh, recommendation for everybody. Um, go on to YouTube. Look up Dimension 20 and um, find a flavor of Dungeons and Dragons that you like. There is Fantasy High, which is what if D&D took place in a 1950s-esque sort of fantasy town with like malt shops and like school dances and stuff like that. And all the, all the characters were teenagers. Um, there's the Unsleeping City, which happens in a contemporary New York City, but D&D classes exist and there's monsters and fantasy characters and mayhem. Um, there's some straight up regular D&D storylines like Escape from Blood Keep, which is a little bit more Lord of the Rings flavored. They are genuinely fun to jump into. The episodes are only about an hour or two each. There's maybe only about 10 to 15 episodes per s- campaign. Much easier to jump into than your critical roles, um, which are monoliths to epic storytelling, but also, boy howdy, um, if you want to break from comics, don't watch Critical Role because um, that continuity and that you know backlog is pretty large but I think Dimension 20 is fun it's really professionally well done there's music, there's sound effects the whole table has a good time it also has a good smattering of um, genders and people of color um, as the different series go nice. on I believe they just, they're doing a whole game right now which is like called The Seven the entire table minus the DM is women and women of color um, and I believe even nice. a uh, transgender woman if you're looking for D&D games to have representation in them um, you got them so give it a look 
they're very fun. I've enjoyed them a lot. Um, it's also just always fun to see D and D used in different ways that aren't just like you're in a quest, you're in, you're in a merc guild or whatever kind of a thing. Um, the DM does a very good job about making really breathe, you know, living breathing worlds that have depth to them that you forget aren't high fantasy. Nice. I will. I'll need to check that out. Uh, on my end, I'm gonna recommend a podcast network and two specific shows from it. So Range Touch uh, is a podcast network that does uh, media criticism. Uh, the two specific podcasts that I am touching in right now uh, is Just King Things, which is going through the works of Stephen King, like from start to end. And uh, Homestuck made the made the world. I, I don't remember what the I don't remember the exact name of it, but they are also doing a Homestuck podcast. And with with that one, it's interesting because I missed I, I didn't follow Homestuck yeah, at all. Like I knew a little bit of on uh, it, and it was absolutely huge. It was absolutely gigantic, and I had read the first three pages. Read read quote unquote. Uh, and read the very end of MS Paint Adventures that preceded it. And so all of this just completely missed me. And it is fascinating to go back through and hear, uh, because they do a lot of contextualizing. They do a lot of digging into, in, in the case of the Homestuck podcast, it is, let's talk about the time and the experiments that the creator had done beforehand and how it sort of feeds in. And a lot of the thesis is, like, this under the... The Homestuck craze builds modern fandom mm. in, is a lot of the thesis that comes from it. Uh, and then there's uh, Just King Things, which is, uh, as I mentioned, going through one by one by one. Uh, and as a result, uh, especially because King's work is so referential of itself, the Dark Tower, even for books that aren't part of the Dark Tower series, they're a lot of them are part yeah. of the Dark Tower series, uh, and so and also he just keeps revisiting the same characters and expressions in a lot of cases, and so it's fascinating to go through and hear that perspective. On they're in the first, I guess like fourteen books or something. So they've only done the first Dark Tower book. Uh, the other one of those that I've read is The Stand. Most of the stuff I've read is later on. But hearing that perspective on The Stand and talking it through, uh, it it is nice to be able to revisit books and also to hear really good like media criticism of it. Because it's not like we do like the model that we have and that Jay and Miles have, or yes, Jay and Miles uh, have and... Uh, like the Great Gundam Project have, at least early on, uh, are doing some of that work, absolutely, but it is also a, a rewatch podcast kind of thing. It it feels like their teeth are sharp in the way that like an experienced film critic mm. might be and really being able to dive into an oeuvre. I, th- I guess like when Jay and Miles really dug into Claremont and having all of the perspective of Claremont's whole work, that that is the feeling that I get from their podcasts. Uh, so yeah, definitely definitely recommended uh, the stuff from Range Touch. Nice. All right, I think that'll do it for this episode. We're going to do one more episode of Doom Patrol, and then we're going to move on to Legion of Superheroes, which, good golly, that's going to be a trip. Um, 
I'm excited though. I'm excited to do more Doom Patrol. I'm enjoying it very much. Yeah. I hope everyone else is as well, and we're looking forward to it. So we'll see you all next time. DC Detectives can be found on SoundCloud and iTunes. To stay in the know, check out our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Their first outing with us had been a joy. The Doom Patrol was a fun group that bickered and supported each other with all the touches of found family that we tended to associate more with Marvel. This team wouldn't have the same staying power as the Fantastic Four or the X-Men, but as long as they kept this up, we'd be happy to follow them.